This is the Marketing Podcast Network. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to author Jane L. Rosen. Jane is an author, screenwriter, and former Huffington Post contributor. She often takes inspiration from real-life stories and interviews to craft her novels. Her first novel, Nine Women, One Dress, was translated into 10 languages. Her second novel, Eliza Starts a Rumor, has been optioned by NBC. She joins me today to discuss her career and latest book, On Fire Island. Welcome to Uncorking Story, Jane. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to have you here, Jane. Jane, I'm curious, where does your story as an author begin? Wow, my story as an author begins, I would say, way back, sixth grade, Baldwin Middle School. <laughs> my teacher took a like interest in my writing, and, and he would send me around to the other classrooms to show the other teachers whatever I wrote. And it was pretty cool. And I was like, wow, maybe I have something here. I got waylaid for a while. I mean, supporting myself after college, I was in the Carmen Center, and then I ended up writing screenplays, which I did for a number of years, switched to becoming a novelist, and have not looked back. So tell me, what's, um, what's the big difference between writing a screenplay and writing a novel? Oh, so different. There's so many differences. Um, when you write a screenplay, you're writing basically the dialogue. So you're giving a short description of the scene. You know, we're talking on Zoom. That could be it. Someone else's job is to set the stage, the room, what, you're, what you look like, what I look like, all of that. And you're really just writing basically the dialogue. When you write a novel, you're responsible for showing everything that the, that the reader is going to picture in their head. I mean, you leave some things to their imagination, but so that right there is much different. A screenplay is about 90 pages. It's a page a minute. A novel is hundreds of pages. Um, but a screenplay is also a, a very collaborative effort. 
where you kind of lose control of your own piece of work. Whereas a novel, you work with one editor and it's very much your own thing. So that part of it, I really appreciate in novel writing compared to screenwriting. So I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but it's basically you're on your own with your editor creating something that you want to create. In a screenplay, you sell it to them and they could literally say, we love this, but we'd like you to send it on Mars. And unless you want to get fired, you're moving everybody to Mars. So there's a big difference in how it plays out. When you, you know, first transitioned from writing screenplays to, to you know, writing a novel, just think about that first manuscript you were working on after you left the, the, the life of the screen behind. Um, how challenging was that for you? And what, what big lessons did you learn, you know, at, at that point in your journey? Okay, so when I wrote my first novel, as with most people when they write their first novel, I didn't really know it was going to get published. So it was a much different experience. It was very freeing. There was, I was not sending it to anyone. I was just writing this lovely story that I adore. And it was called Nine Women, One Dress. It came to me in a very funny way. Someone told me about a dress that was returned to Bloomingdale's covered in formaldehyde. And I thought, wow. I thought at first, wow, that would make a great movie. But I was so tired of the Hollywood experience. I was so tired of selling things and, and not having anyone see them, you know, just selling them and, and the studio would read it and they'd say they were going to make it and they didn't make it, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm, I said, I'm going to tackle this as a novel. And it was, it was a great experience. Again, not knowing if anyone would ever read it. I think in subsequent novels, when I realized there's critics reading it and someone buying it, it's a much different feeling. But the first novel was just a fun, beautiful experience. I loved it. And then in terms of just comparing and contrasting how long it, it took to, to write that first novel and get it ready for publication versus writing a screenplay, um, what, what time difference is there? Screenplays are much quicker. I could... I mean, if I had the complete concept in my head, I could probably write a screenplay in two months, maybe even less. A novel, with all the editing and everything else, I think it takes a good year. Now, I'm not saying the screenplay will be ready to film after six weeks, but I'd say it's kind of like six weeks versus six months. How's that? My very first draft. Um, I want to go back in time, uh, back to sixth grade. Um, yeah. What, do you remember that teacher's name? Mr. Conyers. <laughs> Mr. Conyers. So well, he was, he had my siblings, which was a big deal because my siblings are much older than I am. So the fact that he had my brother and sisters 10 years, 13 years, 16 years earlier was a huge thing for me. People, you know, didn't know that I, they thought I was an only child because I came so much later, but he was familiar with my whole family. And I, I loved that. So did you ever reach out to him after you, uh, after you hit it big? I would imagine Mr. Connors was long gone, pretty old when I was in the sixth grade. But I did reach out to Mr. Tedda, my high school teacher, and thanked him because he was very encouraging of my writing. Yeah, it's, you know, I talk to a lot of authors and I've written some things myself and I just know how important encouragement is to put some wind in the sails. Um, and especially at a young, impressionable age, you know, whether it's sixth grade, whether it's high school, you know, we all need that kind of encouragement. I'm curious, do you do you offer that gift to aspiring writers as well? 
I do. I really do try to. I, I have kids that, um, you know, all just graduated from college. So that's the age group of my kids and their friends. And any of them that are interested in writing, I always said, you know, show it to me. Let read it. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep writing. I look at their college essays, and, you know, tell them where they could make things more interesting. I try very hard to help the younger generation because people read my stuff. So, you know, you want to give back. Yeah, I find the, you know, the author community, the writing community is very generous in, in that regard. Um, you know, I, I, I've talked to, uh, again, a lot, over 300 people now at this point on this on this show. And uh, it just it, it never ceases to amaze me. I mean, I actually use this for me as a master class in, in how to get better at writing. But I just I'm always sort of awestruck by the generosity of um, of, of writers. And I, I think it's a beautiful thing. And it's a beautiful part of the writing community. Well, you know, it's it's twofold, really, because we're a lonely bunch. We're home writing by ourselves. But having other authors that we could speak to, bounce things off, you know, share our work even is a big deal for someone that's just sitting alone all day writing. Right. Right. We need that. Again, it's another another source of encouragement, another some some win in the sales, but also to, to the feeling of togetherness. That's why, you know, writing groups are are so important and and workshopping and 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 all that fun stuff that, you know, people don't really realize goes into, um, you know, uh, writing a novel. Yeah, I, I often tell people that say I want to write a novel because once you become an author, I think everyone who wants to write a novel approaches you. I want to write a memoir. I want to write a novel. I always suggest, just as I did, actually, when I wrote my first screenplay, taking the class. Because, you know, in 10 weeks, you'll have something substantial, pretty substantial. You'll be on your way, at least. And it's a wonderful experience sharing your words with the other people, seeing how they react, hearing what they're writing about. Great way to start. Well, let's talk about your latest book. What can you share with us about On Fire Island? On Fire Island is the book that I have always wanted to write. I wrote it as a script before I wrote my first novel. Sometimes I think I practice by writing Nine Women, One Dress, Eliza Starts a Rumor, A Shoe Story, and then finally writing On Fire Island. Uh, I, I met my husband on Fire Island. I raised my three children there. So the the place is very close to my heart. And I think the book really does do it justice in many ways. It's the story of a book editor named Julia Morse, who passes away at 37 years old, which sounds very sad, but it's a very uplifting book. And she gets to spend one last summer on Fire Island, watching over her husband and her best friends and the community. And it's a wonderful community. And I've received countless messages from people saying how much they loved the book and how uplifting it was and how it gave a different perspective on death and mourning and how funny it was. So when I can make someone laugh, it's everything to me. So I'm very happy with the book, how it's been received. Especially in the context of something like that. I mean, here, you know, I, I just lost my brother this summer. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, I consider it one of the worst summers of my life. Um, but, you know, you, you try and look for the, the, the blessings in, in life and, and my time with him. I'm curious, how do you, how do you turn something, a, a subject matter like that, you know, losing somebody who's very young um, with, with a family and friends behind, 
how do you turn that into something that's uplifting and and you know as you mentioned kind of humorous so i'm unfortunately in the same club as you are i lost my sister when she was 30 so um and she left behind two daughters all of those things um so i'm very familiar with the experience of that fresh horrific feeling of losing someone but i'm also very experienced because my dad also died when i was very young with that funny things do happen even though someone passed away right it's life is going on around you and and maybe you're you're watching it through a a, a fog of mourning but it's still happening um and people want to get you through it so that is where I got the humor from the people that want to get Ben through this horrible summer. They, you know, they don't try and make him laugh, but things happen. Funny things happen and they are, he's involved in them and he struggles through and he makes it to the other end. And it's just, death is horrific, but it happens to everybody. Not that everyone dies. Everyone experiences loss. And I wanted to use my experience with loss in a good way. So aside from my own experiences, I took a class with a rabbi in London called um, Jewish Beliefs of the Afterlife. And I learned so much that I put into this book. And, and I do think that, uh, that there is life after death. I really do. And I believe in that now more than ever. And I think there are signs. And I think that your loved ones send you messages and all those things I believe in, especially after researching this book. Yeah. So. That's how I did it, you know? Yeah, I mean, it is such a shared experience. And you're right. None of us, well, none of us gets out of here alive, right? No, no. But we all, yeah. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I think that one of the reasons why I was able to make Julia's story uplifting and funny and all of that is because she did not have children. And I think when you add children into the mix of a young person dying, it has a whole different level a whole different situation in front of you that you have to deal with and get through. But the fact that Julie and Ben did not have children yet was helpful in me being able to just let her go. Let for her to, it was helpful for her to let go. In other words, she wasn't leaving children behind. She was leaving her love of her life behind and her sister and her friends, but not little children. Yeah. Yeah. That, that does make it easier. My, my brother, unfortunately did it. What does not, unfortunately, I love this, right. They, they are like, two shining lights in my life. Um, but, you know, he did leave, you know, to, uh, you know, to, to young daughters and a, and a wife behind. Um, but, but I hear what you're saying about the funny things because I, and I think we have to like recognize that there is some humor that follows afterwards, even in the, in this very sad, you know, experience, this very sad event, this tragedy that happens. If we, but if we, if we ignore the humor too, we're doing ourselves a disservice because there's healing. I've always believed there's healing and humor, right? Laughter is medicine. Um, and I remember going into the, the funeral home with my sister-in-law, like days after my brother passed away, we walk into this like really old funeral home and he was going to be cremated. There wasn't going to be a wake. The funeral home really was just a place to have a meeting at that point. And I look at my sister-in-law, I'm like, you know, Greg would have walked right out of this place if he <laughs> if he walked in. First of all, he hated funeral homes. But this place, it was like straight out of the 1960s. You know, the wallpaper was like yellowing the couch. You know, it may have well have been my Aunt Rose's couch from 1974 with plastic on it. 
<laughs> and we both had a giggle about it because it was it was so true. Like he would have just walked, he would have sprinted out of the place. Forget walked, he would have sprinted. Um, but you know, we had a little laugh about that, and and you have to laugh about you know certain things, or else it you know you're just it, it's just going to make things worse. When my sister passed away, her little her youngest was standing outside the house with me after the funeral, and this woman walked up and she was wearing. I could only describe it as like an Easter bonnet. Like it was an absurd hat to be wearing for this occasion. And I thought that, but I didn't say anything. And Danny was, I think, eight, seven years old. And she turns to the lady and she says, nice hat, lady. Did you wear that to my mother's funeral? And I just, I couldn't even yell at her. I just laughed so hard because it was so funny. Yeah, things happen and you, you have to laugh or you'll never survive, right? Yeah, no. And I'm so sorry for your loss. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. It's uh, you know, it's been a summer. Yeah. But, uh, but I also hear what you're saying about signs, you know. And I I go to a a local park um almost every day. I try to make it there every day, uh, where he liked to go walking. And um, yeah, you see little things, you know, little things that remind you, um, things that surprise you. My sister, my my brother, when we were growing up, we grew up in in South Florida. Uh, don't hold that against me. And. Mm -hmm. uh, he he collected snakes like he was a little different. Um, he loved to catch snakes and he would catch snakes and keep them. He would keep them in a mail bag in our shed. One day, my father goes in there and, you know, he's like, what's what's in this bag? And all these snakes are in there and he freaks the hell out. Right. Um, <laughs> but my brother loves snakes. So one day my sister-in-law was walking through that park. This was after he passed. And she's just sitting there talking out loud, talking to him. And she feels something at her foot and it's a snake, you know, and it's like, you know, it's like not the traditional cardinal that everybody sees right after <laughs> my brother comes in the form of a snake. Um, so there you go. Well, that's unbelievable. And it's definitely a sign. When my mom passed away a few years ago at 93, she the summer before she passed, we're on Fire Island. Someone said there were dolphins in the ocean. And that's always like an exciting thing to run down and see the dolphins. But as I said, she was 93. So we run down, run is, you know, an, an understatement, an overstatement. And she can't keep up. And I turn around and I, my mom was very athletic. And I forgot that she was so old. You know, I would tend to forget. So she can't keep up. And I said, don't worry, we'll go back to the house. There'll be other dolphins. We go home. A year later, she passes away. I'm on Fire Island. I'm sleeping. It's 8.30 in the morning. I'm meeting a friend to walk. And I have a crazy dream that there are five dolphins waving to me from the shore. I leave my house, meet my friend, who is a huge, big shrink in New York City. So she's very attuned to different things like that. I said, I have this dream about five dolphins. We walk up the stairs and there are five dolphins in the ocean right in front of us. And it was unbelievable. I mean... It was just the craziest thing. And she was, she said, it's your mom. You had a vision in your dream. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. And again, it's one of those things where you, you, uh, you know, some people might chalk it up to coincidence, but yes. again, what's, what's, what feels better, right? To believe it's just coincidence or to believe that, hey, your loved one is sending you a little message from, from the other side. I'm, I'm going with door number two on that one. Me too. Why not? There's nothing to prove differently. Right. Right. And and you know what? If, it, if the end is the end and you could never think about your brother or have your brother with you again, that would be horrible. But the thought that you could talk to him, that you could see him in signs, that you could 
look at his picture and speak to him, whatever it is, you need that. You need that to go on. Love lasts forever. Well, I, I think you just gave me the title of this episode, Love Lasts Forever. <laughs> I love it. Um, it. Moving to some less serious things, of course. Uh, <laughs> but I do appreciate that conversation. Um, you know, one of the ways I like to get to know my guests a little bit is through pop culture. So I am curious, Jane, when you were growing up, now we're going to take a trip back in time, uh, maybe in sixth grade when you were writing for the first time. Uh, when you were um, growing up, what were some of your favorite things to watch on TV? Oh, that's easy. Welcome back, Cotter. Happy days. I used to love boat. I used to love the love boat. There's I no loved how it was like with the love boat. Yeah, the love boat was like a treasure because I don't know the guest stars really got me. I love that. Um, yeah, the, oh, the Odd Couple, which I think was on reruns by them, but I could recite every line to the Odd Couple. The Taxi. Uncle. There's no wrong answer in that bunch. Um, Welcome back, Cotter. I loved. I loved Gabe Kaplan. I loved his his humor, his deadpan. He would break the fourth wall, you know, pretty pretty frequently. Um, but Happy Days, man, that's one of those shows where it's just this like idyllic, you know, slice of Americana. Um, and anytime I hear Ron Howard's voice, I just smile. You know, I, I've been watching, rewatching Arrested Development. And he, of course, is a narrator and he brings in, you know, because he's executive producer, too. He brings in, you know, Scott Bayo. He brings in, you know, Henry Winkler. And, you know, it, it just it did. That show just makes me smile. And I know it spun off a few shows, right? Like Laverne and Shirley, Mark and Mindy. Um, but man, that just uh, just it show always brings me a smile. You know, it's a great, great piece of American uh, history. And I rarely watch those half-hour sitcoms anymore. Do you? No, gotten if it's on network TV, I avoid them like the plague. They're just—I think they've had their day. You know, I think they've had yeah. their day. Yes, but they were fun. Nice half-hour funny show. Yeah, yeah. How about I remember how we used to have to watch them when they were on? That was the, <laughs> the craziest thing. A, appointment television. I still remember, you know, Thursday nights, you know, when I was in, you know, college, um, you know, getting back to watch, you know, Seinfeld, Cheers. Um, you know, back in the day, the Cosby show was on Thursday nights. And um, and then, of course, Wednesday nights for 90210. That's, you know, my generation. Uh, <laughs> and then Melrose Place. Of course. And I followed both of those shows to the bitter end. To the bitter I watched the remakes with my kids. I watched um, my, my daughter, Gracie. So I have three 21 year olds. Um, they all have very different tastes. Yeah, we have triplets. And she just got into watching the original, you know, 90210 from, you know, season one. And uh, I had such a ball watching it with her this summer. Just, you know. Uh, so good. What was the name of that restaurant they all went to? The Peach Pit. Peach Pit. Peach Pit. Which yeah. then became the Peach Pit after dark um, at nighttime. Uh even silver opened up a club in there. <laughs> so fun. What what fifties themed diner doesn't turn into a nightclub at night? <laughs> so, um, how about music? What did you like listening to growing up? Uh, growing up, I was a Billy Joel fan. I was I was I did come of age in the disco era, so I went to all the clubs on the weekends in the city and danced to all the disco songs. And um, my husband was a huge Springsteen fan. So now I'm a 
I've been inaugurated into that world. Did you get to see him this summer? I did. I did. Three times. <laughs> oh, good for you. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, I, I love his music. Never seen him in concert. My cousin Danny yells at me whenever he sees me because I've never, never done it. And I love, you know, I love going to live events, but uh, I know he just canceled, I think, a lot of his dates because he's uh, under the weather. Bolsters. Oof. <laughs> but you should change that. You should treat yourself and go see a concert. I will. I, I had tickets when my kids were very young, but when I dropped the uh, the, the news that I was going to go see Bruce, my wife said, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm and, sure now she'll let you. You have a, you know, you have a get out of jail free card for at least the next year. That's true. That's true. Uh, <laughs> in her defense, I had three babies at home. So it's, uh, um, what are some of the biggest things you've learned about yourself um, through your writing? Yeah. It's a good question. Um, I've learned that I'm very sensitive to criticism. <laughs> How's that for an answer? I, um, I'm better at it now, but yeah, reading some like mostly I, I, my magazine and newspaper and editorial reviews have all been lovely, but sometimes you get an Amazon review that really crucifies your work. And it takes a lot of self-control not to reach out to the person or knock on their door and say, hello. What exactly did you think was going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a favorite place where you like to read? Um, the beach. I love to read on the beach. It's hard in Fire Island because you don't get through many pages until someone comes by and sits down in front of you and starts chatting. So I mostly carry my books around on the beach, read a few pages and they get interrupted. But I love a really good beach read how about favorite place to write my favorite place to write i'm not allowed to write in anymore it was my bed and you know it's the new cigarettes so <laughs> lying in your bed writing is worse than six pack a day habit i think <laughs> so why why are you not allowed to write there anymore because it's bad for you it's really bad for you so i've moved on and it's also you're supposed to be your bed you're supposed to sleep you know you're not supposed to be thinking of all the best thoughts I have to get up now and move around. And I usually write at a desk now or in my living room or I go to a coffee shop. If I need to get out of the house. I could write anywhere. I even write on the subway. Yeah, I find Metro North is a, is a good spot. Um, Trains are the best and airplanes the very best. Yeah. I mean, a good six-hour flight and I could rewrite a whole book. Not really, yeah. but yeah. There you go. And, and if you could Whisper some words of advice or encouragement into your younger self's ears, right? If this is the sort of dear younger me type question. Uh -huh. What would you tell uh, your younger self? I know what I would tell my younger self. I would say do not major in fashion merchandising and textile marketing in college. <laughs> major in English and read every book known to the world and learn how to write better. That's that what I would that is my daughter's major right now. One of them is ma measure, uh, uh, majoring in fashion, merchandising, and marketing. Where? At Sacred Heart University. Uh, okay, I thought you were going to say where my where I went. It's, it's a combination. Yeah, it's a great. I mean, it's a great major and it's a great field, but clearly wasn't where I was supposed to be. I was there for five years, garment center. Then when I had babies, I started writing again. Yeah. So I really could have used that knowledge.
Yeah, but everything works out the way it's supposed to work out. Yes, and I've learned. Right. I mean, there's plenty of time to redo your life at any time, I think. Yeah, never, never too late. Um, Well, uh, where can people pick up on Fire Island? Everywhere books are sold. You're in a lot of the independent bookstores are loving on Fire Island. Barnes and Noble has on uh, everywhere. Everywhere. Please pick it up because you will be in for a treat. It's an escape to the beach. And who couldn't use an escape to the beach? Um, well, Jane, do you have a website or social media people can follow you on if they're so inclined? Sure. Uh, JaneOlverson.com. Um, Instagram is my biggest social media place where I really pay the, I pay the most attention to Instagram. And it's, my Instagram is pretty fun. And it's Jane Alverson. All so right. Check me out there. I will put all those links in our show notes. Jane, thank you for stopping by Uncorking Your Story and letting me uncork yours. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to meet you. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.